Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Evolving Engineering Construction Brands Podcast with your host, Matthew Winkelstein. This week's guest was a guest for dual reasons. I wanted to have him on a guest because he's one of my favorite Gen Z mentees. And when you hear him and you get to know him through the episode, you'll realize he's the type of talent you want in your company. So I believe it's valuable for people to hear, hey, this this is the kind of talent you're trying to reach out to and understand what him and his friends are looking at when they select industries and select companies. He also is a marketer himself. He's ran social media for the Marketing Millennial, Workday, and a couple other uh, organizations. So just hearing his experience and doing that, I also think is valuable for organizations and for marketers. There's some lessons learned here that he talks about. But uh, yeah, fantastic episode. Was glad to have him on. Like I said, one of my favorite mentees right now, one of my... one of my favorite people I've been developing a relationship with over the last four months. Fortunate to know him, fortunate to work with him, and I'm glad y'all get to hear him on this episode. Hope you enjoy the episode as much as I did recording it. Aiden, good morning, brother. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Excellent, man. We just had an invigorating conversation about women's hoops, society, leadership. Love our conversation, wide-ranging. I'm glad you're able to join me on this podcast. Not everyone that's listening knows you as well as I do. Why don't you start us off with what's your role, what are you doing professionally, and then tell us what your major is. Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for having me on this. Like, I really appreciate it. Matthew's a great guy, everybody. I know you all know that. I go to the University of Maryland. I'm a business student there studying marketing and business analytics, but also working part-time at a media startup, <laughs> Workweek. It's based in Texas, and I'm just doing basically everything social media and writing. So I'm ghostwriting a newsletter and then also creating content on Instagram and YouTube and a bunch of different platforms, and then also building my own personal brand on LinkedIn and Twitter and have built a little bit of a side hustle while still doing everything and making money ghostwriting for other clients. So I know this story. I think it's fascinating for people to hear what got you started into wanting to do a side hustle. Why don't you take us back to that pandemic time when it was slow and you're like, I'm going to do something else. Two years ago, I was a sophomore at University of Maryland. Classes were all online and I had so much time on my hands. So I just started applying to a bunch of different internships, whether it was like big companies like Nike or Apple or startups with zero money. I was applying to everything in between. I got an internship. I was a social media manager there for eight months. I liked the creative aspect of social media and I was making memes and a bunch of stuff. Um, And then that kind of progressed. I'm making money, getting good resume stuff, but I want to make the next jump and do this for a huge brand but people don't know the companies I've worked for in the past. So it's not much. People don't know the names and the likelihood that I can land a gig that I ideally want is going to be hard right now. So I got to make some moves. And my move was to build a personal brand on LinkedIn. And I coincidentally stumbled into that idea because I posted something on LinkedIn and it went viral. And it was just a post. It was right after the new Spider-Man came out. And I was like, Hey, I'm proud to announce I accepted a new internship opportunity at Stark Industries. Thank you, Tony Stark, for the new role. And people thought it was hilarious. And then at the end, I just said, hey, on a real note, like I'm looking for an internship opportunity. So that went viral. And I realized the potential with LinkedIn. And then last May, I'm going all in. And I've posted every single day since then. And after maybe 30 to 60 days, I'd say two to three people reaching out per week for any type of services. I wasn't even advertising anything. They just saw my content and they're like, how can we plug you into our system to do X, Y, Z? So that's really snowballed to a year later. Yeah. 
Awesome, man. Congratulations. I lo love to hear these success stories. Love to hear, you know, about ambitious people like yourself. I talk about this often. I think that different generations don't understand each other necessarily. I'm a middle-aged millennial, maybe, or maybe I'm an old millennial. I don't know what it is at this point, but you hear a lot of people my age talk about, man, these Gen Z kids, these Gen Z kids. And it wasn't that long ago where it was these millennials, these millennials. And I think that just like with anything, there's lazy Gen Z people, there's motivated Gen Z people, there are lazy millennials, there's motivated millennials. And so to hear from someone like yourself, I think is enlightening for people. And they really took ownership, took the bull by the horns and went out there and got it. And I think that's awesome. And you know, what else I heard is you figured out how to use what's out there now. Like social media is out there now. You have the ability to do this. You have the ability to reach people and you did it. The other thing I love about your story and love as I continue to get to know you better is you leveraged what you're good at. You're a naturally gregarious, funny guy. And you like to make memes. You put yourself out there. Some of the stuff hits, some of the stuff doesn't, but you're unabashed. You just keep going at it. So I also applaud your fortitude to be able to keep doing that and consistency. I appreciate that. Yeah, that I can't take sole credit for that. I had the, literally the first internship opportunity I had after I made memes for this guy and the company folded. He was like, I'm going to help you get a new job, but I have one piece of advice for you. You know what you're good at. Lean into it unapologetically. And I was like, all right, that's stuck with me. So that's my competitive advantage. And I've leaned into it like wholeheartedly since then. His name's Corey Noble. Shout out him. I'll send this to him after. But yeah, he really <laughs> big inspiration there. Awesome. Awesome. I want to transition a little bit into just some things about you and maybe some things you can tell us about people your age. You mentioned a couple of brands that you applied for that you viewed as big brands. Now that you're getting to the position where you're either going to go do your own thing full time, you're going to continue to work for companies. What are you looking for in brands and industries that are attracting you to come do marketing for them? So specifically for like employment and being an employee, I would say what I look for, this is like super unique to me. I look for a place that accepts the fact and the idea that I'm not going to be there forever. And ultimately I want to have my own thing. So a place that is open to that as well, for me working, splitting both my attention on my own business and then also their business. So that's in, in regards to employment. So the company I work for now, I'm, I made sure before I signed a contract with them, they were okay with it. They actually encouraged it. And I was like, all right, this is perfect. Right now, the incentives are aligned. But as far as like a, a client, mainly people reach out to me because I'm pretty polarizing on LinkedIn with the way I speak and the way I create content. So it already creates this divide that people are either like, screw this guy. It's very immature. Like I don't want my brand tied to him. And then there's other people who are immediately attracted to it. And they're like, oh, I want this voice behind my brand to give a name that probably a lot of people know, like somebody like a Barstool Sports. I don't work with them, but that type of tone where they're like a little more risque and like bold. And when they mess up, they own up to it and then they move on as opposed to companies that are afraid to mess up and are a little more, I mean, there's so many legal loopholes with all these companies, but looking for the more bold companies in clients. Yeah. So I, I, I want to circle back to that, but first I want to get back to something you talked about where I don't think this is unique just to you, where when you're looking for an employer right now, you're looking for someone that understands that, Hey, I'm probably not going to be here forever. It's not likely. You can see that play out in the workforce. How much do you hear other students that you talk to speak like that now that your classmates are getting ready to look for their full-time careers? Are they viewing it like my generation was still very much, 
looking for the company I'm going to work for forever? Or are they like, I want to look for the company that I want to work for the next five years and I go from there? That's a really good question. I think in my circle, like I can only speak for my circle here at school, it's split. I have a couple of friends that are in the same boat as me and they're like, yeah, this is cool to see. All right. I'm making this much coming out of school, but this is 100% step one. And I'm going to be looking for the next gig after a year or two, or they're prioritizing upward mobility within the company. So that's like a hybrid, like they're looking forward and they realize there might be a chance to move upward within the company, but ultimately they want to move upward in some facet, whether that's leaving or staying. But I do have a couple of friends who are locked in with good gigs, making good money out of school. They haven't even mentioned, I don't even think they've thought outside of that realm yet or even at all. Whereas as soon as I signed my full-time offer, I was like, okay, cool. But I'm still keeping all my options open, like putting all my effort into this company because they invested in me. I'm investing in them, but also keeping my eyes open. I would say it's a hybrid of like, I'm going to be here for a while. I love this company. And they're typically the companies like a Lockheed Martin like a capital one versus my other buddies. It's like a cybersecurity startup. So the longevity of the company probably comes into play. Even with the friends that are looking at those long-term companies, are they looking at it as, they might not be necessarily keeping their options open and being as fluid as you are, but I assume they're still looking at it as, hey, this is something that as long as it stays in the best interest of both of us, I'm going to stay here. I'm not committing to working in a crappy job for multiple years and continuing to go down that slog because I want to work for X company. Yes. So the only place where I see that I'm going to work hard at X company just to have this name is finance on Wall Street. That's the only place where I still see it. Like where kids come out, they're like, I don't care. I'm working hundred hours a week. I'm working for Goldman. It doesn't matter how much I'm getting paid. I'm working for Goldman Sachs and I'm going to stay here and grind until I, I'm going to put my time in. That's the only place where I still see that everywhere else. It's at least in my friend group. If they're not treating me and I'm not enjoying it, like I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I think, and to your point about finance, the other side of that, knowing if you can make it through that meat grinder is when you're talking about seven figure salaries, it's like a different ball game, right? A seven figure salary in most industries is far from guaranteed. If you make it through the meat grinder, you're hoping to get a 25% bump over those course of years. It's a lot different than going from making $75,000, a year to making two, three, four, five million in bonuses in five, seven years after that. And I yeah. assume also, tell me if you disagree with this, that even within those circles that, hey, I'm going to work for Goldman and they're going to gut it out. It's also part to be able to, at the end of that, how many ever year cycle to say, Hey, I did this. Now I can look out on the horizon and figure out what I want to do. For the people I know that are doing it, they're like locked in on the company. Cool. I have a couple of buddies too who are wanting to be lawyers, and that's more of the route. They're, I'm going to get through this, get through law school. After eight years or whatever, I'm done with law. Like they don't <laughs> reach partnership level, but yeah, I can totally see that. That's incredible that they're thinking that already. I have a, a best friend that's an attorney and that's all he wanted was to become partner and he became partner and he loves practicing law. What he yeah. didn't realize is that when you're a partner, it's about the book of business you bring in. And so now all of a sudden he's really in this business development role and he gets yeah. so pissed because I tell him that I'm like, you're not a lawyer, you're a BD person, but it's about relationships. You got to bring in this book of business. When you're a partner, the way that you get truly compensated is by the book that you bring in for your undergraduates or whatever to be able to execute. And so- 
it's good that they're already thinking like that because I've seen too many people think an industry is one thing and then be sorely mistaken when they figure out it's something else. And so for your friends to already be thinking like, hey, this is what I want to do. I'm going to get this, then go somewhere else. It's good foresight. Don't try and trick these smart Gen Z kids. They'll get you, man. <laughs> Once you got into the marketing path and you realized you enjoyed that, did you ever think about doing marketing for an engineering or construction firm? All three of my roommates are engineers. They're studying engineering and they've since day one at school, that's what they knew they wanted to do. And I never even put one second of thought into like, how do these engineering firms market themselves? And like, how the hell do they get contracts? Like, how does it even work? But funny enough, a month ago, one of my roommates, Joe, he's the leader of one of these engineering clubs and they have professionals coming in just to network with students. And he's Aiden, you actually might want to come see this. There's a couple of people from the marketing department that will be there. So I went and I was looking at like how they were selling themselves to the students. And I saw it wasn't really resonating. I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of a gap here. Like maybe I can connect it. That's a client that has like cash flow and needs help. That's a perfect combination. So that it's only a very recent experience. I haven't heard that story. That is recent. I'm yeah, glad to hear that because I'm like, you know what? Maybe Aiden might be working with engaging perspectives a little bit more in the future then. You're seeing what I was telling you about now, right? <laughs> yeah, after the meeting, I had no idea what they were talking about. But then when it came to the real business side of things, I saw the engineers kind of, they were missing the boat on things. And then the firm was missing the boat on a couple of things. I was like, dude, there's something here. Something. Yes, absolutely. Dude, absolutely. And it's a huge industry that needs talent. I think some of the struggle is, and where you would get frustrated is what you described earlier, where extremely risk averse. And yeah. the other thing that's tough about doing marketing, especially for some of the larger companies, the reality is if they didn't do any marketing at all, they'd still have a certain book of business because they execute projects well. And that has this kind of flywheel effect of word of mouth. And you have to walk that line of it's not the most important thing. And you have to realize that, but if you can do it well, you can help them enter new markets better, attract talent better. And then the most important thing for engineering construction companies, all of them is they want the right kind of projects. They don't just want projects. They want the right kind of projects. And so the more projects you can bring in, the more ability you have to be able to choose what the right ones are. So, but I think that a big thing too, that the attracting the right talent too, if you could position like, Hey, like, sure, I'm doing marketing, but maybe specifically just so you can get the right talent because engineers are smart. And I'm sure you want the smartest engineers working for you. So if you can sell your company as being the place where the smartest of the smart engineers work, that'll have a flywheel effect too. So absolutely. I think that's why some companies are a little more narrow-minded. People ask me if I'm worried about a downturn in the economy, owning a business that like a little bit, but honestly, I'm more excited about a downturn in the business because right now there's this huge construction glut. And so people just don't need to get projects as much as they did in the past. And so when that changes and it's more competitive, I'm like, no, my services are way more in demand at that point because I know that we can generate opportunities. We do that. The issue we've ran into with a couple of clients is they can't execute more opportunities. We've had to, all right, how do we continue to grow brand awareness, but attract more talent because they, like, they don't need more projects. They need to be able to execute the projects they have. And so we've throttled back and we're building a strong foundation, which will serve them well. And when the economy t turns in this industry, it's an interesting time. Yeah, that's awesome. That just shows the quality of your services too. That's a good problem to have. It is good, but at the same time, it 
makes people reluctant to take us on, but then also that effect is happening in the market generally. If you're a construction company and you just say, hey, I have skilled labor and I can execute projects, you're most likely going to be getting work right now, no matter what you do. Now, if you don't perform well, that leads to different problems, but you'll get those projects because there's so many of them out there. If you think of it like at the top of the mountain, people are being real choosy. Hey, oh, I have to spend money to bid on this. No, thanks. Not going to do it. And it's, oh, this project isn't this type of contracting model, isn't this type of scope, not interested. But then all of a sudden when there's less projects, which happens all the time, construction tends to be cyclical, when there's less projects, then all of a sudden those same big players have to say, oh yeah, we'll bid that one or no, we do want that one. And so that has a downstream effect where smaller companies that maybe customers wouldn't even have taken the time to evaluate or go find now customers are going out there and saying, I need to find more people to be able to bid this work and to be able to diversify the amount of construction and engineering companies I have. So it just creates more projects for people that would have to fight a lot harder to get in. And maybe you wouldn't even be able to be competitive. But now because the big players are saying, no, hey, you know what? Like literally it's to that level where it's if they have to spend money to bid on the project, they just won't bid on it because they have enough stuff and you have to take the same resources that you need to execute the project, you also need a certain amount of them to bid the project because you need to know that, can we actually do this? So you have to almost do the project on paper to figure out how much it's going to cost for you to be able to do it in real life, which takes time and money. Oh, I didn't know that. Damn. <laughs> Interesting stuff though, right? So outside of the realm of my attention, sitting in that meeting, they're describing how oh, they're building some bridge or whatever. And they were highlighting, this also is our biggest crane we own. And it took three days to set up the foundation to put the crane there to ultimately build the bridge. I was like, are you kidding me? I didn't even think about that. They had to engineer the crane to ultimately engineer the bridge. That's the fun part of engineering construction. So I grew up in the space because that was the opportunity that I had with my lot in life. And it worked out well for me, but I've served other industries from a marketing standpoint, like food and beverage industry, tobacco, and all these different industries that sound like more fun. You get to do different things. Like you meet cooler people that way. There was some like, oh, wow, like this star is going to endorse the brand and we'll be able to like talk to their people. And first of all, you always end up just talking to their people. So you're like, oh, great. Your assistant's assistant's a really swell person. But then it's not as actually cool. It's this commodity. When you're in engineering construction, it's building the infrastructure of building these buildings that actually make the world move. And so yeah. that's where I think they do a really poor job of reaching out to people like you, where it's, you don't want to go be an engineer. You don't want to necessarily go build a project. But if, if you realized how much fun it is to learn about all these different industries while you're figuring out how to market them, that might offset some of the conservatism in the industry. But the industry has a poor job of reaching out to people like you, right? Like that event wasn't for you. It was for the engineers. But because you went to it, you're like, hey, you know what? This is somewhat interesting. I'll keep my ears open. I see your wheels turning right now. Yeah, <laughs> All right, we'll move off this. So you've done this for a couple of brands now. You've done this for yourself now. What are some lessons you've learned and some benefits you've seen from growing personal brands through social media? Okay, so I'll answer the second part first. The benefits I've seen since growing a presence on social media is just leverage. Specifically, if you're young, it's very hard to get leverage when you're young. You got to go through that meat grinder typically to get any sort of say or any sort of leverage or to have your choice in any opportunity. But from me, just growing my personal brand, like comparatively to other creators on the platform, I had the bigger creators, I have a small following, but the opportunities that I've gotten and the 
body of work that people can just go to my profile and see and all this stuff I'm working on and everything. It's like a living, breathing resume that gets 80,000 people on it a week. And the number of DMs just from anyone. That's how I met Matthew. Like it was just a random DM and it could be a potential work opportunity or just like networking literally. And by saying yes to all the meetings now, like everyone says, be wary of your time and X, Y, Z. But the biggest growth that I experienced was just by saying yes to all the meetings that I got in my DMs networking. And within three, four minutes of calling somebody, you can tell if you're going to mess with them or not. And nothing's a waste of time. If it's a loss, it's not really a loss. It's just a lesson. And that'll just help you refine your path moving forward. But so that's like the benefits, but also a little bit of a lesson I've learned. Also just clarifying expectations, like especially working with clients. I think the first client I took on, like I was so stoked about the number, right? That I was making money finally. And it was like all on my shoulders. And I was just fixated on that number. And then I forgot, wait, I didn't even clarify expectations for both of us. So after doing the work for two, three weeks, I was like, I'm not performing. I'm upset. Like I'm screwing this guy over. Like he's paying me all this money. I feel bad. I'm going to have a meeting with him and I'm going to tell him I can't do this anymore. We had a meeting. I told him like, Hey, like it's not working. I'm, I apologize. I'm underperforming. And he was like, underperforming. Are you kidding me? This is great. This is far exceeding my expectations. So I thought I wasn't living up to my expectations when in reality I was surpassing his expectations. So now that's like priority number one for me, just clarifying everything, what they want out of it. That's good. That's wise. I like the leverage part because I think from an engineering construction company standpoint, what you just described on a personal level is what brands can experience too, where it's you're getting more opportunities from prospective customers and prospective employees. We run thought leadership programs where we go straight on an executive's behalf. And then send it to a certain spot. A lot of what you do for these founders, right? And that's one of the things that we focus on is you don't know who's out there looking for a job right now. And a lot of companies have positions that they don't necessarily put out, but they, hey, if the right person came across my desk, I would find a place for them. And yes. so when you put yourself out there and you communicate what you're about, what your company's about, that top performer at another company that sees that, we actually had this for a client. We had a client that started a whole different division because he literally came inbound through his messenger and said, hey, love what you're about. Love your leadership post. Have a conversation about us possibly doing something up here in this different geography. And so that's led to a multi-million region for my customer where they always thought, hey, we'd like to be able to come up there, but they just didn't. The owner of the company, I don't have time, don't have the bandwidth to be able to do this. They get the right person. Now this person's doing that. Now he wants to focus a whole strategy on how do we get more people that are out there in these auxiliary industries to come to me and then I can start a division through them. And yes. so I think that leverage plays out key, not only with the customers, but with the people. And if you're not putting yourself out there, you just don't realize all those opportunities you're missing. So on a personal level, you got to put yourself out there so the talent comes in, so the customers see it. From a brand standpoint, if no one knows who you are and how you can serve them. How can they ever think of you when they need your service? And when people who are juniors and seniors in college and you're like, where would you want to work? I would say they're saying the typical Apple, Nike, Google. That's because you see those brands everywhere and you hear about those brands everywhere. I go to a school where there's some top tier talent. And like, I know personally a couple of people that are going to companies like that. And it's just because those companies have stayed top of mind for my generation for the last 15 years. The long game. 
Yeah. And the thing I like about what you've talked about earlier is it's not just B2C brands. I think that's the mistake and where engineering construction firms are missing the opportunity. They're thinking like, oh yeah, it's Apple, that's Google, that's these companies that are out there, B2C. But you mentioned earlier, Lockheed Martin, they're in the defense industry. No one interacts with them. Unless you're under some sort of weird government surveillance, you're a junior spy, like you don't know who the hell Lockheed Martin is, but people do know who they are. Goldman Sachs, like that's so beyond what people are thinking about until you're probably in at least high school, but they still innately understand who this is. That's yes. where I think the engineering construction firms have the opportunity, especially if you play the long game, it's build that brand with these professionals that think, hey, I might want to be in this industry or they don't know about it. they're developing a skill set like yours. And hey, did you know that you can come in here and help us close $100 million projects? Isn't that a lot better than selling $100,000 worth of shoes? I don't know. Some people might want to sell the shoes. But to me, it's like influencing these large strategic opportunities, that's way more fun. If you can influence the conversations that happen in those rooms, it's a whole different style of marketing, in my opinion. You can't necessarily judge the success off, hey, did this project come through the website? Because that's not the way it works. But when they go to have this meeting and they're talking about the issues that you brought up, that's success. Figure mm -hmm. out how to measure that is a whole different animal that I've been trying to work with. But that's where like, to your point earlier about choosing the right clients, that's true at everywhere. It's if clients believe it, you're able to lay it out for them and they see it come to fruition. They're not saying, this didn't come through the website. So we don't really think this is working. It's like, yeah, you're just working with the wrong person. Like, this has been a fantastic conversation. You're managing multiple social media accounts. So you got to get going here to be active. So I'll let you get going. But we always end our show with the same thing. What's your best routine or habit? Oh, hands down. This has benefited me just in my like mental health, sanity, and appreciation for like life as a whole. I wake up and I do not use my phone until after I've gone to the gym, showered, brushed my teeth, done everything. It's typically the first like hour and a half of the day. Do not look at my phone once. Only thing I do is hit stop on my alarm. That's it. So I'm in the gym, no music, no headphones, just working out. Phone is in my backpack and I come back, shower. So I haven't even looked at my phone once today because I worked out, showered. I just turned off an alarm and then came hop on this call. Love I've, been, it. I've been up since 8.20 and haven't really looked at anything. So, Dude, I love that, man. Love that. I honestly think that's the toughest part about doing what we do is you have to stay plugged in, but yes. finding intentional ways not to get sucked in, that I think it's a continuing process. And I even see it with thought leaders where they get so into the likes and all this stuff. And I'm like, hey, that's dopamine. Like what you're getting into right now isn't the actual result. I had one client who just, it was working on a, hey, you're getting opportunities. And when you go to conferences, people are talking to you about those. And he's like, how do we get more likes? At first days get frustrated, but now I get it. And it's hard not to feel like that in a certain instance, right? I oh, yeah. feel like with my content, I think they are an indication, but the more that you talk to people and understand it's like there's so many different reasons why people like content don't like content and what i think is funny is when people ask me like oh how come you didn't engage with this post i didn't even see i haven't been on linkedin in two days i schedule these things like i had to focus on my deep work i do this post actually or i don't know it's not that it's not good content i just didn't have yeah, there's so many levels to it and I mean, that's one of the battles like always face like i'm nowhere near perfect of the focus on the likes and the views because that is customer feedback that but to have that constantly and like multiple times a day and at your fingertips is a little risky for not getting sucked in you have to learn how to manage it so taking from a aiden the gen z superstar don't get on your phone in the morning i'll start <laughs> scheduling my posts later so people see them all right Aiden, really appreciate this man we'll have you on again sometime just to hear how you're doing this is awesome. Like, I really appreciate this. Like, 10 out of 10.
of course. Appreciate everyone tuning in this week.